Welcome to the official podcast for the 29th Annual First Conference, being held June 11th through 16th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, visit www.first.org. And now we join our interview in progress. Good morning. This is Martin and Chris, and today we are talking to Ben Stock, who, along with Christian Rossau, is giving a talk at first called, Hey, You Have a Problem, on the Feasibility of Large-Scale Web Vulnerability Notification. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about the talk that you're going to be giving and some of the research that went into it. So um, the academic community has become really good at developing tools that allow us to to find vulnerabilities at scale. For example, yeah, Heartbleed was one of these things that was that was pretty quickly found at scale. Um, but while we've become really good at finding these issues, we really haven't focused that much on trying to actually tell people about the issues that they have um, so as to help them out um, in the sense that they could fix it. And we wanted to understand in this work how we could actually yeah, make that possible to the end there where we will try to kind of find websites that have vulnerabilities and then uh, try out different forms of notifications or channels of notifications and, and see how well we actually perform using these channels. But doesn't that imply that there's actually got to be somebody listening on the other side? Absolutely, yes. But I would still assume that uh, if somebody's running a website, hopefully also in the top top million especially, that there is a person who administers this site somehow, so at least fills it with content. Um, because, I mean, uh, the top million is kind of the highest profile sites there is. Obviously, this boils down to having a few sites that have a lot of traffic and, and others that have less. But still, in the end, we believe that there should be somebody on the other end listening. And I mean, there is obviously different ways of reaching these people. So, for example, if you register your domain, you typically have to give a contact um, for that domain to uh, yeah, be reached uh, in, the, in the who is information. So you mentioned in the, the research that you contacted 44,000 websites during the research. Um, did, you, did you use purely who is contact information or were you also using other methods of contacting people? Basically, the idea here was to understand what kind of email communication would work best. And we therefore chose um, actually to have four different notification groups. The one, uh, as I just mentioned, was from the who is information, where we contacted people, um, either the administrative contact or if there was not such a thing, then the technical contact. Alternatively, at another form of, I would call it direct communication with the, with the affected party, we try to um, send emails to generic email aliases at a domain. So, for example, info at domain.com or security at domain.com. And we augmented that with uh, two um, what I would call indirect communication channels. So, on the one hand side, we involved um, yeah, organizations like CERTs, basically looked up the IP addresses of each of the uh, affected domains, then looked up the corresponding CERT and disclosed the information via them. And also we, um, in the same manner, then contacted the provider kind of hosting this IP address. And since there is no, well, security contact in that sense that you can easily look up, we use the abuse contacts for, for these, um, yeah, IP ranges of providers. And when you say the certs, you mean the response teams for the, the specific companies or were you looking at national and regional certs as well? So we mainly looked at, on the one hand side, national certs. So obviously US cert, German cert were kind of the, the biggest ones we had. But uh, since we had some yeah, some friends also working at first, <laughs> we also contacted them uh, to kind of uh, yeah, distribute this information as well. 
And uh, moreover, we also used uh, a mailing list called Obstrust, where actually Christian is a member and disclosed the information there as well. So there we try to kind of spread this, this information as, as far as possible across these what we call trusted third parties. And there we really also had a list of all domains and then said, okay, look, guys, even if you're the German third, here's the full list because maybe there is a domain that you that you know belongs to or is registered with a specific uh, German uh, registrar maybe. Um, so we really left it up to the thirds to then have a look and forward the information accordingly to the providers and then from there on to the customers, hopefully. Now, you mentioned that the, the feedback and the, the number of or well, the success rate was was pretty low on this. And I can imagine contacting things like abuse email addresses, which very likely tend to be poorly monitored, if at all, as well as kind of, kind of going for generic uh, contact information like info at. I can imagine that's that's a pretty low response rate. Of the four different types of communication, what, what really kind of came out on top? What was the best way to, to contact people? One thing I need to add about these 44,000 domains is that we kind of looked at two different types of vulnerabilities. So on the one hand side, we looked for, for WordPress vulnerabilities. Um, there we had about 43,000 or so domains in the top million, and these were pretty evenly spread um, among the top million. On the other end, we used um, the vulnerabilities that we found ourselves, um, which are clients are cross-scripting vulnerabilities, and these were contained purely in the uh, Alexa top 10,000. And as you would expect, an email address for, for a Alexa top 10,000 company or website that is info at is much more likely to not actually bounce. It turns out that these generic email aliases, as you mentioned, they are really horrible. Like 50% of the domains uh, actually either didn't have a mail server set up or bounced all these, these four emails that we tried. It turns out that depending on the type of vulnerabilities that we look for, the, the best fix rate was reached for, for these WordPress vulnerabilities actually using the WHOIS information that we got. Whereas for, for WordPress, it was really, uh, for, sorry, for client-side cross-site scripting, it was really the uh, certs or these trusted third parties that, that worked best. Also likely because there's kind of a, yeah, a higher incentive, I would call it, to notify uh, highly ranked sites rather than like the average Joe's WordPress installation. For you, what was the most surprising part of the research? Ooh, that's a good question. So interestingly, we figured that if we try to reach out to um, to these providers, for example, that if you have big providers um, that have a have a huge chunk of the uh, of the IP addresses, they would have yeah, some mechanism in place to deal with these kinds of security notifications rather than than abuse notifications. Um, but it turns out actually that the the top five providers, just based on the number of IP addresses that they had in our data set, didn't even look at our, a single report that we sent them. So there was a way for us to actually see whether somebody visited the the link to our web interface, um, and there we could then see that none of the providers actually looked at the information um, whatsoever. That was one thing that I find very su surprising um, because, yeah, I would have guessed that providers would want to tell their customers about vulnerabilities be before these can be exploited and then become also a problem for the provider. On the other hand, it turns out that um, also these trusted third parties, if we subtract the notifications that worked over this ops trust, the, this, this channel didn't really behave that much better or perform that much better mm. compared to the other ones. Um, but here from my um, discussion that I also had with um, some people from the from the Spanish search is actually that basically they have to do the same work that we did. So they have to look for contact addresses for a specific domain. They have to look for who is information. Um, they also have to rely on the provider to then forward the information. So basically using these uh, certs to yeah kind of 
have them disclose the vulnerability for us really just yeah, lifts the pressure of us and puts the pressure on them. Um, and obviously, if you have uh, 8,000 sites or so to notify, that would take a, a large chunk out of your, your day-to-day business time. And so it's yeah, not all that surprising that um, they didn't work out that well, the, the trusted third parties. So at the the end of the research, I think you mentioned around five percent of issues had been had been fixed out of the forty four thousand. So actually, it was for for WordPress about twenty five percent in total that were fixed. But there, uh, kind of the improvement that that came from us was not that high. So we also looked at a control group, and they had about a twenty two ish percent fix rate as well, because people just at some point update their WordPress or, or move away from WordPress. For this these client-side XSS issues, it was more like 12-ish percent, I think, um, of domains that fixed the vulnerabilities, whereas the control group had almost zero. But this is somewhat clear because, I mean, these are kind of zero-day vulnerabilities. Um, but in the end, yes, um, I totally agree that the, the largest chunk of all the domains that we had in the data set um, did not fix the vulnerabilities most likely because they weren't even aware of it because uh, either our emails got, got stuck somewhere, the provider didn't forward the information, or somebody saw our email and said, no, I don't trust these guys. Um, why would I? So there's obviously some benefit in having auto-update processes in place, which I, I guess equates to the increased percentage of fixes for WordPress as they have some level of auto-updating from a majority of versions now, whereas cross-site scripting issues are more code-related issues. So unless someone comes along and tells you that you actually have that issue, you're very unlikely to to detect it and, and fix it. Absolutely, yes. Um, so in these cases, also for, for WordPress, the fix is really easy, as you mentioned. Um, it's update your installation. I mean, sometimes auto-update doesn't work because of, for example, permissions on the web server. But for these client-side XSS issues, most likely people were not even aware of it. And once we told them, we couldn't even say, like, this is the fix for it, because these are uh, highly dependent on the on the context of the application. So there's no real, like, one-size-fits-all solution for that. So there also needs to be kind of more effort than on the, on the side of the developers. And we also saw that in the time it took people from actually looking at a report to then fixing a vulnerability, whereas for WordPress, uh, about one-fifth or so of the people that viewed a report immediately fixed it within a day. There's kind of a very slow increase of fixed domains for the client-side access issues because, yeah, you first have to come up with the solution, then you have to test it properly, then you have to um, integrate it into your development cycle, and then you can actually roll out the, the update at some point. I, I'm curious, did you look at the statistics for non-WordPress versus WordPress? Because in a lot of cases, the problems with WordPress are not WordPress itself, but the plugins that people are adding. So the, the two populations might show different characteristics. So what we what we checked for in these vulnerabilities for WordPress was really just WordPress core vulnerabilities because we didn't want to put too much strain on the on the targets. Um, so all the vulnerabilities that we chose were so chosen such that we would not have to perform some I would call it illegal action on the server. So I can't exploit a SQL injection because then I need to actually run the SQL code. So there we really focused on the on the core vulnerabilities. But definitely, um, as I said just based on the fact that these these WordPress domains were contained in the top million in contrast to the top 10,000 for uh, the client-side access issues, um, you kind of have a different means of, for example, reaching them. And also, um, as I said, in total, uh, like only, I think in total, only 30% or so of the sites that viewed a report for WordPress actually fixed it. Whereas it did take the, the client-side XS domains a little longer to fix, but I think in the end, uh, we managed to reach their kind of a higher fix rate in total 
um, just because yeah, people may may actually take this more seriously. Um, because if I tell an average Joe you have a cross-site scripting on your your WordPress, uh, they might not understand what the problem is. Whereas I would expect that a developer that works for a company that is in the top ten thousand Alexa ranks, um, they would definitely know what what cross-site scripting is, what the impact could be for for them and for their company, and would therefore be invested in trying to fix this as soon as possible. Who would you consider to be the target audience for your talk? Who should come and see you talk? So on the one hand side, um, I gave similar presentations already for for people that that were kind of in yes the security field in 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 companies, and they also came back to me and said, hey, do you have to look at the development cycle, for example. So this is definitely one thing where I would like to have um, input from from the community also with respect to how can we, for example, make these reports more precise such that it might be easier for somebody to fix it. On the other hand, I would also like to understand um, from these especially trusted third parties or providers why they could not handle our information in a, a more efficient way, I would I would call it. Because it seems like this is a kind of a general issue where abuse is something that, that can be targeted easily. But these security notifications where there needs to be a lot of, it appears to be that there needs to be a lot of manual effort these days to actually reach out to people. So there I would really like to have the input and, and hear from these experts in the community to see whether there is something that can be done in the sense that there might be a better way of, of automating these um, security disclosures. Thank you very much for, for taking the time to have a chat with us, Ben. I really appreciate it. For people who are interested in seeing the presentation, Ben will be talking at quarter to three, so um, it's 2.45 on the Tuesday at the first conference, and we uh, we hope that people who are interested in the topic will come along, attend the talk, and start the discussion afterwards about how we can work to improve these kind of things moving forwards. Thanks very much, Ben. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the official podcast for the 29th annual first conference being held June 11th to the 16th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to www.first.org and thank you very much for listening. Initiating shutdown sequence.